Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our associate and student pastor, Matt Willingham. I want to welcome you at North Judson, at, at Hebron. Those of you at Full Throttle, ask Pastor Levi. He's back from Kentucky about his stories and and he'll share some things there. Welcome, uh, North Judson, NPH, to all of you watching at Westville, watching in your living room online. Come on, put your hands together. Let them know. Come on, one time, let them know you're here. Let them know you're awake. So good to see you this morning. Want to welcome all of our first-time guests. Good to see you today as well. Hope to connect with you after service. And uh, man, 75 years is right around the corner. Make sure you Hold your seat for that as well. We're going to have a good party. And uh, this morning, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to go today and uh, open up God's Word this morning. The title of my message, it's, it's really about you. Turn to the person you're sitting next to. Tell them, say, it's really about you. It's really about you. You're the one, you're the one that needs to work on some things. It's really about you. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at God's text this morning. We've been in a series uh, called Questions God Asked, and we've been looking at things that he asked us and asked us to do, and what is our response? And last week, Pastor Phil talked about loving your enemies. Did anybody else have a hard time this week with that message? Come on, but me. All the rest of y'all are really saved. You love your enemies really easy. If you wasn't here, you need to go listen to it, loving your enemies. I prayed all week for myself. I didn't even pray for you, because I'm like, I need help on this one. And... Uh, if you didn't like last week, guess what? I got good news for you. You ain't going to like this week either. I'm just going to tell you right up front, uh, you, this one is going to be just as tough. And, uh, but Luke chapter 10, we're going to pick up Jesus is, is talking in, in a context to a, to a crowd of people. Maybe some of you understand and maybe you've read this passage before. But he says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest, come on, circle that in your Bibles, in your, in your sermon notes this morning. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, circle that in your Bibles. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, can you circle that for me right there in your Bible? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. And here's the question, which... Of these three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Who is your neighbor? Jesus is asking us today. Come on, let's pray one more time. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. And God, because of him, we can come into your presence. God, we can have a relationship with you today because of what Jesus did on the cross and God, I pray over these next few minutes as, as you speak to us that you would just open our ears, our hearts, our mind, our eyes, God, to what it is you want to say to us today. God, challenge and change every one of us in this place. Let us leave different than how we were when we walked in. 
than how we were when we clicked on to join online. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us today in Jesus' name. And come on, everybody said amen. Amen. Amen and amen. It's really all about you. Jesus uses this question, who is your neighbor? Or which one of these gentlemen was the neighbor to the man? And and we read right in our response, we read in his response, we see this word neighbor. And to us, it can kind of mean some different things in our life. I think it's very easy to understand, right, that the word neighbor, I mean, really when you think about it, really means someone of close proximity means somebody that you are close to, and that might be geographically, right? Some of you maybe live in a subdivision, so your neighbor is like right across the street or right down the road, but maybe you live out in the country and it's a little bit more space, right? Maybe your neighbor would be someone you would consider would be a couple miles down the road. But a lot of times when we think of the word neighbor, it's, it's very easy for us to see that it's someone who is near to us, a lot of times near to us physically. But, but sometimes the word neighbor might be someone who is Uh, near to us, maybe in their attitudes in life, right? We would consider them a neighbor because they think the way we think, right? They they, they live the way we live. Maybe they have the same belief systems that that we have. Maybe for some of you, if they vote the same way you do, right, they might, you might consider them a neighbor. Maybe if they come from the same background, maybe if they're someone who is aligned with our own processes, is someone who looks like us, we oftentimes categorize this, these people in our life as neighbors. But this morning, Jesus in our text is going to expand our thought processes and dare I say even challenge our thought processes to who really uh, it is when it comes to being our neighbor. Because this is what I know we like to do, or I'll talk about myself this morning so you won't hate me too much for this message. I know this is what I like to do, is I like to pick and choose who gets my love. I, I like to pick and choose who gets forgiveness. Come on, anybody else? Are y'all, y'all gonna be really saved this morning? Okay, this is gonna be a fun message. I, I, I like to pick and choose who gets forgiveness. I like to pick and choose who are those people. Again, Pastor Phil last week talked about loving our enemies and what does that look like and the challenge, the biblical mandate, not the suggestion, but the biblical mandate to love our enemies. That is something very difficult to do because our enemies are not someone who naturally we want to love, amen? People who think differently than us, people who live differently than us, people who have a different worldview are not natural and are not easy for us to love. However, Christ did not limit his love to us. Christ does not limit his grace and his mercy to us. Christ does not make us feel as if we do not deserve his love. And so therefore, since Christ does not limit his love for us, therefore we should love and not limit our love to other people. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians, that it is the love of Christ that should compel us. It's the love of God that should cause us to look at another person. And it's the love of God that should cause us to look at another person, no matter their background, their, no matter how they come, where they come from in life, no matter what they believe, no matter what they look like. That it's the love of Christ that, could, that, could, that should and, and could compel us to, to go to them. And, and in John 13, Jesus said it like this, that by this they will know you are my disciples, not if you go to church. Not if you just read the Bible, not if you go to small group, not if you sing on the worship team, not if you raise your hands and you sing Jaira. He says, by this, you will, they will know you are my disciples when you have love one to another. Love, though, is this hard concept. And this is what I've come to understand in my life. Write this down in your notes. Living out the love of Christ is not a complex idea, but it does require commitment. 
I mean, I mean, it's very simple, actually. Living out the love of Christ, living out the love of God in us and through us to other people is not a complex idea, but it does take a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of commitment to look at our enemies and say, I love you. It takes a lot of commitment to look at those people who have harmed us and hurt us and wronged us and say, I forgive you. It takes a lot of commitment in order to walk this thing out. I mean, look at Jesus Christ himself. No greater love than this and that someone that a man lays down his life for his friend. I mean, his commitment to love for us took him to the cross. It cost him his life. And how dare us think it's not going to cost us anything. It cost him everything. And so the love of God at work in our life, it takes commitment. It's this, it is something that we have to work at, and you're not liking this message. So let me get back to the text this morning. In Luke, we see the story. We see Jesus' response. That's what we just read. But if I could back you up a few verses earlier. In Luke, we were inter- introduced in Luke chapter 10 to an expert. The Bible says an expert of the law. And now, although it doesn't say it typically, and as you study out, oftentimes these experts of the law were, were Pharisees. They were these religious people. They were Jews who, who prided themselves on, in knowing every little detail of the Mosaic law. They were Jews who, who knew the scripture forward and backwards. They knew it better than, than anyone. And so, so this expert, this Pharisee, comes to Jesus, and he, and he has a question, but the question is really a test. It's really the to trick Jesus. And if I could back you up in Luke chapter 10, just a few verses earlier, in verse 25, it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, and here's the question. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many of you think that's a pretty good question? That's not a bad question at all. Nothing wrong with that question. What must I do to get into heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him. He says, what is written in, in the law, how do you read it? And he knows this man knows the law frontwards and backwards, the scripture. So the gentleman answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's interesting to me that this expert asks a question that really has to do with the external things that are going on in his life. What must I do? Right? What, what are the tasks? What are the boxes I must check off in order to get into the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus is about to expose not what's in his head, but what's in his heart. And it oftentimes how the Holy Spirit works. We, we, can give the wrong, we can give the right answer, but we miss it on the application in our life. We can quote the right scripture, right? But we don't know how to live it out. Like, like I can quote scripture on faith, and faith is, having faith is like, you know, you don't, you, all you need is faith that's the size of a mustard seed. You can say for this mountain, move from here to there. Oh, I can quote the scripture, but then living out that faith, oh, that's a lot more difficult. Living out that kind of faith is, is a lot more, requires a lot more trust in my life. And yet, and yet here's this gentleman. The Bible says, because Jesus looks at him in verse 28, and he says, well, you answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So he gives the right answer, but he has the wrong application. And, and write it down. I say it like this. The answer, never, the answer doesn't matter if my attitude is always wrong. The answer amounts to nothing if I don't have the right attitude. Anybody ever raised teenagers before? Or you been a teenager yourself? 
You've probably heard something like this. Like a teenager can give the right answer to their parent, and the parent, it can be the right answer, and the parent can look at them and say, you better watch your attitude. And my, and my kids have done this before. But I, I, attitude? I said, yes, sir, I got you. No, it's not you said, yes, sir, I got you. It's the way you said, yes, sir, I got you. I heard, yes, sir, I got you. That's what I heard, and I want to hear, yes, sir, I got you. And, and like, so oftentimes, right, I know your kids are perfect. They never do this kind of stuff. So oftentimes, right, I, I was the same way as a teenager. My mom would say, you better watch your attitude. And, and if we're not careful, we do the same thing with God in our own life. Oh, we can give the right answer for love, but is our attitude right? Yeah. We can give the right answer about forgiveness, but is our attitude right? And, and, and here is this gentleman. He gives this answer. And in Matthew chapter 19, we see right, another, another exact same story, similar. It's close. This gentleman, he comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, what are the laws? And he says, well, do not steal, do not kill, do not lie. And he begins to list them. And Jesus says, do that. He goes, I've done everything. What else do I still lack? And, and the Bible says he's a rich young man. And Jesus looks at him and he says, sell everything you have and go give it to the poor and come follow me. And he, the Bible says that he leaves Jesus sad. Why? Not because he didn't have it here, but because Jesus exposed he didn't have it here. It wasn't right in his heart. And so here's this gentleman, Jesus, says, listen, love the, you, you, you've answered correctly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, good answer. But watch, the gentleman takes it a step further in verse 29. The Bible says it like this that he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to make himself feel good. He's trying to trick Jesus again, and he, so he asked the question, all right, Jesus, I get it, so who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love that way? Who am I supposed to love with my heart, with my soul, with my mind, with my strength? He gives the right answer, but he didn't apply it to himself personally, and so now watch, this is what, this is what we do with God. We, we, we go back to Jesus, he goes back to Jesus, and we says, all right, well, you tell me what you mean by that. <laughs> right? God, God comes to us and says, listen, you got to forgive that person for hurting you. They did you wrong. You got to forgive. Well, what do you mean I got to forgive them? Like, I got to, like, let it go. I got to, like, I got to talk to them. Like, I mean, I got I to gotta sit by it. Like, what do you mean I have to forgive? And or Jesus comes and he says, listen, I, you know, you, you, need to, uh, you need to just follow me a little bit more in your stewardship. I need you to give more. Well, what do you mean I got to give more? Like, you talking about a dollar? You talking about, like, 50 cents? Like how much more do we, and we begin to try to, we, we begin to bargain with Christ. Y'all never done that before? I do that. We bargain with Christ. This man gave the right answer, but he didn't know what it really meant. And I think, hear me this morning, church, that's the vital difference. And that's what Christ is here to do. That's what Christ wants us to understand as Christians. Is it's, it's one thing to know God with our reasoning, but it's quite another thing to allow him to change us and mold our hearts into his likeness. It's one thing to say, oh, I love people, and then actually go out and love people. It's, it's one thing to say, oh, I, I love my enemies, and then to go out and actually love your enemies and pray for them. It's one thing to turn the other cheek and say, like, oh, yeah, turn the other cheek. When somebody does you wrong, just turn the other cheek, and then go out to have to do it and go out to have to live it. It's one thing to say one thing on a Sunday morning or even in our own personal time, but to allow Christ to change the way we walk, to allow Christ to change the way we talk, to allow, to allow Christ to change the way we forgive, to change the way we love. See, hear me this morning. It's not just what we do in here that will change the world. I'm so glad you're here. 
I'm glad you're here at Valpo. I'm glad you're at North Hudson. I'm glad you're, you're watching online. But hear me, it's not just what we do in here that changes the world. It's what we do with what we do in here that changes the world. It's what we do with what we experience. It's what we do with the power of God. It's what we do with the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to go outside of these walls and love differently and forgive differently and walk differently and talk differently and reach a world that is lost and dying. It's what we do with what we experience inside this room that's gonna change the world. Oh, listen, I'm glad you read your Bible. I hope you do. If you don't have a personal devotion time, I pray that, that you do this week. Start, read the Bible plan with us. I'm glad you read the Bible. I'm glad you pray. I'm glad you have your Holy Spirit moments. But listen, it's not those things in your life. It's not just those things alone that is what changes the world, but it's when you and I come out of our prayer closet. It's when you and I come out of those moments that we've been hanging out with God and we go to our job and we go to our city and we go to that campus and we go to the people that are lost and that are dying and that are hurting around us and we see them bleeding and bruised from life and we're able to extend and show the love of God that is what changes the world. And here is this gentleman, he says, who is my neighbor than God? Well, what does it mean to love those people? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength, to love your neighbor as, as well? Who is my neighbor? Is it just somebody that looks like me? Is it just somebody that, that believes like me? Is it just somebody that that goes to church with me, that goes, that's in my small group. Is it just somebody that I agree with politically? Jesus shares the story that we, that we read. Now, oftentimes, Jesus taught in parables, but some people believe, many people believe in history as you begin to study. Some people believe that this was not a parable, but this is an actually a true event that happened because this passage, this rite that, that Jesus is going to talk about is a very well-traveled road. And the first person we meet is this gentleman, he doesn't have a name, this Jew, who is traveling on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. From Jerusalem to Jericho, I got a photo of you. It was a very high-trafficked road. It was roughly about 17 miles long, and it was a, a road that oftentimes people would journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, because people would often go to Jerusalem to worship. They would go to church roughly 17 miles long. It would descend roughly 30, uh, 3,300 feet from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 3,300-foot uh, elevation change. And so this road, though, that oftentimes people traveled was a well-known road, a well-known area, but it was a very rough terrain. And there was parts of the road that would really be narrow, and there was like boulders and like, like just little hiding out spots that it was very common during that time that robbers and thieves would, was, was able to hide out on this road and that when passerbys would come, they would take advantage of people. They would beat them. They would rob them. They would take their stuff and oftentimes leave them for dead, just like what Jesus has given us the illustration today. And so we see someone who has been robbed, beaten, put down, left for dead. Isn't that how the enemy operates in a lot of people's lives? That they've been robbed, they've been beat down, they've been hurt. Maybe their experiences have let them down. Maybe they feel like God has let them down. Maybe they've just been going about their life just on journey. Maybe you have felt like this. Maybe you feel like that today that you're just, man, I'm just walking 
on life, trying to do my thing, trying to get from destination A to destination B, and yet life has robbed you, life has beat you down, and, and you feel like you've been left for dead. We meet people that they feel like emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, they've been left for dead. And the first person that comes by, this particular individual, Jesus says, a priest just so happened to be going down the same road. What a coincidence that a priest is coming down. Now, it's probably very true a coincidence from Jerusalem to Jericho, from the place of worship, maybe to his home, or maybe he's going back from his home to the place of worship. But by any right, this priest comes by. And the Bible says that when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And then after the priest comes a Levite. Now, a Levite, if you study it out, a Levite was not as, as high up as a priest, but a Levite was also part of the priestly order. They would oftentimes uh, help in the, in the church services. They would oftentimes aid in the priestly duties. They were not basically, base, you know, like, that, like the head guy, but they were, they were kind of like a staff pastor to the priest. Like they were on staff with the priest, and, and they would work in the temple as well. And so we see a priest and we see a Levite. And a Levite, and it's crazy to me that Jesus, these first two individuals, because surely what better person to help somebody is a Christian, right? I mean, what person better to help someone who is struggling and beat down by life as someone who calls themselves a Christ follower? I mean, surely aren't they obligated to stop? I mean, the love of Christ compels me, Pastor Matt. People will know I'm their disciple, I'm his disciple by the love that I, so I mean, surely the priest and the Levite, and, and I mean, surely they are obligated to do something about the situation. But this is what I've come to understand. Love is more than just obligation. I, I can be obligated to do something and not be happy about it. And loving my neighbor is more, has to do more than just obligation. You ever went somewhere you didn't want to be, but you went there anyways? Come on, anybody ever done that before? Maybe it was a house or a party. I've never done this to your house, but there will be other times I'll get invitations. If you invite me to your house, I come willingly and I come happily, right? Always. But there are other events. There are other times that I'm like, you know, Leslie would come to me. She's like, hey, Matt, we got this on the calendar. We got to go do this thing. And I'm like, I don't want to go do this thing. She's like, we got to go do this thing. And I'm like, I really don't. There's 800 other things I would much rather do than to go to this event. Y'all have never done this before, have you? Y'all are so much better Christians than I am. And, and, and so, so I'll begin to moan and bicker and complain. And she'll finally see. She said, Matt, we are obligated to be here. And I'm like, fine. I will go, but I will not have fun. And I go, and she'll tell you. Y'all pray for me. I can, I'll be cranky. I'll complain about it the whole way there. And then I get out of the van or the Jeep. I put my Jesus smile on. But the whole time on the inside, I'm miserable. I don't even want to be there. I don't even want to be hanging out. I don't, I want, and I'm thinking about all the other things that I could be doing. Matter of fact, we had a family event yesterday, and she already knew. She's like, I'm not even asking you to go because I know how you'll be. And she didn't even ask me to go to the family event. How hurtful was that, y'all, that she didn't even extend to me the invitation for me to be able to complain about. So I didn't even get to go yesterday. I didn't even make the invite list because she knows how I am. But, but I will often find myself feeling obligated. And obligation is not enough of a motivator because obligation will cause me to do it, but my heart will not be in it the whole time. Obligation will cause me to maybe, maybe extend the love or, or extend or go to that place, whatever it might be in that context, 
and, and I will be there, but the whole time I will be miserable. And we can do the same thing with people. We can, we can say we love them out of obligation, but our heart is wrong the whole time. Right? We show up to the event. Hey, how you doing? Oh, it's so good to see you. Oh, your kids are so beautiful. I can't believe your family's getting so big. And you walk away, you're like, them kids are crazy. I don't even know why they got them kids here. Right? Come on, y'all. Ain't never... <laughs> I'm just being real, y'all. Right? Like, oh, my gosh, I, I follow you on social media, and I see your posts, and it looks like your family is just doing great, and it's so good to see how God is blessing you. I can't believe God is blessing them like that. Their family don't deserve anything they're getting. I tell you what their family does deserve. It deserves something, right? And we'll, that's how we are when we're obligated. That's how we are when we're there that way, right? And if we're not careful, we let all of this other stuff, and again, I could talk about for the next 15 minutes the, the, re, the religious responsibilities that the priest had. You know, maybe they were going to the temple, or maybe they had somewhere to be, or, or maybe they had other responsibilities. Maybe he was going, you know, to visit someone, or I don't, I don't know. But, but it could have been all of these things, and, and maybe it was just some religious activity that he was just so focused on. But if we're not careful, watch, even with our Christianese, even in our own religiousness ourselves, if we're not careful, we'll let religious activity take the place of real life connectivity. And we pass people by every day. And we pass people by. I, I, I'm bad about this on Sunday mornings. Some people who know me really well will call me out of it. That, that I get so zoned in sometimes on, on, on a Sunday morning because like, we got service. Got to make sure things are good. Like we work, our team works hard for you to enjoy your experience. Is the words right? Is it sound good? Is everything good? Like is the message done? And I'll get so zoned in and I'll walk right by people and they'll start having a conversation with me and I won't even hear them. And they're like, yo, Pastor Matt, like did you... Like, Pastor Matt, I tried to say something to you earlier, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I was just, so, so if you ever see me that, just trip me. Just trip me when I walk by, and that'll get my attention. But I get so, I get so focused, and I get so tunnel vision. And listen, don't, don't judge me too harshly, because we do the same thing in life. We can get so tunnel vision about our schedules. We get so tunnel, I got places to go. I got to do things. I got kids. I got to get them to the sporting events. I, I got this one thing I got to do. I got to get to the grocery store. I got to get back home. Lord Jesus, don't let me see nobody in Walmart. I ain't trying to have a conversation. Lord, I got to get there, and I got to get home. And we get so, we get so zoned in, right? Come on, y'all been there before. Hey, pray for me. The other day, I dipped in a store real quick because I saw somebody I didn't want to talk to, and I just dipped right in. I didn't even want to, it wasn't you, it wasn't none of y'all, it wasn't none of y'all, it was somebody else, but I saw him and I ain't seen him in a minute, and I dipped right into a store I didn't even want to be in, I turned around, I'm like, why am I even in the store, and I dipped right back out once I saw them go by, because we get so focused, we get so zoned in, and we miss out on the moments that God has for us, we miss out on the people that are biased, that are hurting, that, 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 that are bleeding because of life. We miss out on conversations that we could have. We miss out on, on loving our neighbor. And then here's the crazy thing. What if I told you that technically and legally, the priest and the Levite responded accordingly by not stopping? Because this, this is crazy. Because according to Levitical law, a priest could not touch anything that was dead. Now the Bible says, we just read the text, Jesus said they beat him, they robbed him, they left him for what? For dead. So I'm sure he looked like he was in rough shape. So a priest comes up on the road, he's like, oh, snap, I can't, I can't do nothing about this person. I got, I got responsibilities. I got things I got to do. A priest or a Levite could not, could not touch anything that was, according to Levitical law, could not touch anything that was unclean because if they touched 
things that was unclean, something that was dead, they themselves then became unclean, which would then mean they would have to go ceremonially be made clean. That would take more time. That would maybe miss moments of their responsibility. Do you see all of the excuses they could be making? And isn't that what excuses are in our own life? Excuses, if, if I let them become roadblocks that the enemy uses to make others feel excluded. Well, I can't help them, Pastor Matt. I mean, I, mean my, I can't help their family. My own family's got issues. How am I supposed to help their family when I'm going through something myself? I mean, I, mean, I can't touch this situation because if I touch this situation and they, they need financial advice, I mean, my financial problems are as bad enough. And if I touch their financial problem, what if it jumps off on me and I get theirs too? I don't need two people's financial problems. And I don't, I've got enough drama in my own life. I don't need their drama as well. Do you hear what we do? We, we begin to make excuses. We want to preach a message to our world that, that God is available and accessible. But my question is, are we available and accessible? when we go to our jobs, when we go to our city, when we go to our, our neighborhoods, when we're around our family, when we go to that campus this fall, are we accessible? Oh, oh I want pa Pastor Matt, I want, I want my, my enemies to know Jesus, just not here. I don't want them to know Jesus here. Don't, don't let them come here. They can find Jesus somewhere else. Pa oh, Pastor Matt, I get it. I gotta, I, I mean, I, they, they need the love of Christ, but, but somebody else needs to show them the love of Christ. It ain't gonna be me because I don't have the time to really take to show them the love of Christ. And if we're not careful, we, we preach this message to our world that Jesus is accessible and available, but we don't become available and accessible. Why do you think we planted several years ago this, this biker church and, and, and what they do in that ministry? They just went down to Sturgis, Kentucky. They go to Sturgis, South Dakota. We see what God is doing at full throttle through that campus at Hebron. Why? It's because we want to see Jesus become available and accessible to every person. Why do we have this dream that we're building and we're stepping out? Out and God is making progress with the Sunshine Center and the, and the special needs kids and the families that 90% of them do not go to church because they have special needs kids and families. Why? Because we want people to know that Jesus is accessible and available. And if he is accessible and available, then we too must become accessible and available. So this gentleman is asking this question. I mean, obligations should be enough. Well, I don't know about you, thank God he didn't give me what he was obligated to give me. Thank God he, God didn't give me what the law said I was obligated to get. Because when I read my Bible, God is not obligated to forgive me. Well, when I read my Bible, God is not obligated to give me mercy and to give me grace. When I read my Bible, God is not obligated to Give me his forgiveness. Isaiah 53 and 66 says it like this, that all of us, every one of us in this place are like sheep who have gone astray and we deserve hell. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve his punishment. We haven't lived according to his will, but Ephesians 2 goes on and tells us in verse 4, but God, because of his great, what? His love, not his great obligation, but because of his great love for us, because of his great compassion for us, his great mercy for us, us. He made us alive in Christ when he was obligated to give me wrath, when he was obligated by the law to give me punishment, when he was obligated by the law to give me hell. It was his great love. It was his great compassion. It was his great mercy that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And because of his love I have, I have relationship with him now.
And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we look at people and we want to judge them by the law, but we don't want to be judged by the law. We want to hold them to a standard that we don't want to live by ourselves. I can imagine these people in Luke 10 hearing the story, this Jew who asked the question, this Pharisee who knows the law frontwards and backwards. What do I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart. You're so, you know the law. And he quotes it. He says, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, yeah, you're right. He says, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins to tell this story. And I, I can imagine those around, this big group, standing, hearing the story, maybe justifying the actions of the Levite and the priest. Well, of course they didn't stop Jesus. You know the law. They cannot stop. You know they cannot help anyone that is dead because if they touch it, they won't be able to do their duty, and we know that their job is important. Hello, Jesus. They got important stuff to do. And they're justifying all the actions. And all, if we're not careful, the lack of love for my neighbor is evident when I begin to justify my actions. Well, I can't forgive them. I can't love them the way they need to be loving. They, do you see the way they live? Do you see the way their family is? Do you see the way, do you hear the way they think, the way they, or the way they talk? Do you, do you see the way they think? Do you look at, look at their worldview? Do you see what they pull? I'm supposed to love them? Do you see, do you know where they come from? Do you know their story? I'm supposed to love them? Priest, the Levite, probably Jewish people in their own right, we know. Right, they pass right by. And, and I can imagine the people in this room, they're like, all right, they're standing in the circle. We know Jesus enough. He's about to give us a twist. We know he's going he to say something. And so, so this man's been beaten. The priest and the Levite walk by. I can imagine people maybe starting to whisper, like, I bet the next person uh, is going to be a leper because nobody's supposed to touch a leper. Leper ain't got no friends anyway. So, of course, a leper would hurt. Leper needs a friend. Now, ain't nobody supposed to touch a leper. Leper's willing to help. I bet it's a leper, but it wasn't a leper. Maybe, maybe the people in the crowd says, oh, you know what? I bet, um, I bet it's just going to be somebody poor. I mean, maybe somebody who ain't got nothing else better to do anyway because we know, you know, poor people, they're they looking for a cause in their life. So I bet it's somebody poor. They're going to stop. They're going to help the person who, who's, who's, been, who's been beaten and, and left there, but it wasn't a poor person. Oh, you know what? I bet it's another Jewish man. What better person? Just a normal Jewish person, just like us. What better person than to stop and help another Jewish fellow man than another Jewish man that's just a normal guy, uh, everyday Joe, going about his business, right? And Jesus is probably going to tell us and show us that anybody can be used by God, but it wasn't even another Jew. The twist comes, and all oh, is far greater than what they saw coming. Because the Bible says, look back to your text. In verse 33, it says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Oh, there's so much I could unpack if I had time here. Just Samaritan comes by this man. We know the story of the good Samaritan. You notice it does not say the good Samaritan in our text. It just says a Samaritan. The good Samaritan was added as a heading as, a, as they begin to break up the word of God for stories and, and as just an easy read. The good Samaritan was added uh, later in life. The, 
because there was no such thing as a good Samaritan in those days, particularly the Jewish people. And yet here's this gentleman. Here's this gentleman that shows this love. He says, who is my neighbor, God? Jesus, who is my neighbor? And he shares this story. And we see already the sacrifice that this man makes of his time, of his resources. And we see the sacrifice that this man makes of maybe changing his plans, uh, of allowing this, this gentleman to ride on his donkey. We see all of these things. And I, I look at that text and I understand that, listen, loving my neighbor is not just about doing enough to get by, but it's about going the extra mile. That's what loving my neighbor is about. It's not just doing enough in the moment, or I'm going to make them feel better, and I'm going to go up my way. Most of us would have put oil and bandage on us when we'd be like, you good? All right, cool. I'll catch you later. And we'd have rolled out, right? You got it. Somebody else will come and take care of all this. But, but the man, he bandages him up, puts him on the donkey, goes, and he uses all of his resources. Because, listen, real love, you can fake for a moment. Or, I'm sorry, real love, you cannot fake for a moment. Fake love, you can Right again, you can fake it for 30 minutes, for an hour, fake it for a couple hours. But, but real love, you can fake it on Monday when you go to work, but on Thursday when they've been talking to you for three days and now they're getting on your nerves, you better have some real love for them. Right? You, you, can, you, can, fake, you can fake love at a family function for an hour or two-hour dinner, but when you've been around your family for a couple days, you better have some real love. Right? And here's this gentleman who shows this love, Jesus, he, he teaches this expert of the law who had been questioning him. Then he, then he says, I want you to evaluate what I just told you. Now watch, this is what Jesus does. He's about to show him it's really about him. L loving our neighbor is really about what's on the inside of us. He says, this is what happened. The Samaritan comes. He takes care. He goes the extra mile. And I could preach a whole message about going the extra mile. But, but he says he goes the extra mile, and he looks back at the expert who knows the law, can read the scripture front and back, knows every rule, every regulation, can check every box. He says, you tell me, and now you evaluate what you think happened. And Jesus asked this question. Listen to the question. I'm almost done. He says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And now watch. In, in Luke chapter 10, look, if you have your Bibles the expert in the law replied, Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Go read the story this week. He says, all right, you tell me, which one do you think was a neighbor? The obvious answer. Wasn't a priest. Wasn't a Levi. Levi, it was a Samaritan. But look at verse 37 if you have your Bibles. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Did, did you see the answer of how he answered the question? It's about to expose really what's in his heart. Jesus says, listen, there was a man beaten, robbed, left for dead. Three people came by. It wasn't the priest. wasn't the Levite. It was a Samaritan who stopped and showed him mercy, showed him grace, took him into the end, paid his wages, said he'll pay you even more. Who do you think was his neighbor? And the gentleman's response, all he could muster up was the one who showed him mercy. You missed it. The expert in the law could not even actually say the word Samaritan. He couldn't muster it up in his own strength to say it was a Samaritan. It was very obvious to us, the Samaritan, right? But he could not say the Samaritan did it. Let me make it real for us. 
For some of us, the modern-day version of this story, Jesus, it, it would have been this, that it was the Democrat who stopped. <laughs> or, or for some of us, the Republican who stopped. Or for some of us, maybe it was this person of this nationality, this person of this race. Because watch, the reason he could not even say, I forgot to tell you, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And I don't mean like, oh, they didn't get along. That this hate was hundreds of years old. I don't have time to tell you how and why, but, but basically if you go back and you study the, the time of the division of Israel when it went from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom, some Jewish people went here, some Jewish people went here, and the Samaritans was the group of Jews that went into a Gentile, lay, to, to a Gentile land, and they began to intermarry with Gentiles. And so Jew, Jews, full-blooded Jews, looked at Samaritans as cancer. They looked at Samaritans as people that were evil. They looked at Samaritans as someone who had defiled the bloodline of the Jewish people. So when they looked at a Samaritan, Samaritan, it was not someone who they enjoyed at all. Matter of fact, the only good Samaritan to them was a dead Samaritan. So think of now the hostility and the anger that this man must have that when Jesus says, who do you think was his neighbor? He can't even utter the word. All he can say, you know, the one dude that I'm not going to mention and give him credit for, but the guy who showed the mercy, that, that's his neighbor. The hostility that was so real. It wasn't a Jewish man helping a Samaritan, but it was a Samaritan helping a Jewish man who had been ignored by his fellow Jews. And here's a gentleman who had every reason, who had every right, who had every excuse to hate the very one who hated him. He did not he, he did not have any obligation to risk his own life. He did not have any obligation to spend his own money. He did not have any obligation to stop and help this man. Matter of fact, he had every reason and every right to do the opposite. He had every reason and every right to not even stop. But this is what Jesus is trying to show these people this is what Jesus is trying to show us today, that it doesn't matter their background. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter where they vote. Loving my neighbor is not just about, about people that I see, that I agree with. The real act of loving my neighbor is how do I respond to someone in time of need, despite all of those things? How do I respond to someone in time of need, despite if they believe different than me? Come on, Pastor Lindsay, come they hate the message, I gotta quit. How do I respond to someone who looks different than me in time of need? How, how do I respond to someone who lives different than me in time of need? Do I look at them and say, yep, you deserved it, that's what you got. You get what you deserve. Do, do I look at them and say, uh-huh, all, all the hate and all the evil you threw on me, look, it done come and got you, ha ha. Gotcha. See, I hope you die there anyways. Oh, hear me this morning. How much different would our culture be if the church would begin to love our neighbor in a different way? There was no logical reason why the Samaritan should rearrange his plans and spend his money to help his enemy. We did a whole message last week about loving our enemies. But mercy doesn't need any reason. Grace and mercy needs no reason. God didn't need a reason other than just he loved us enough. God doesn't need a reason every morning that he shows me grace and 
and mercy other than just the mere fact that he loves me. Love, love is the one thing that trumps it all. And I wonder for you and I this morning, what would it look like? Who are the neighbors in our life? I don't mean proximity location-wise, but who are the neighbors? Who are the people that we're rubbing shoulders with? Who are those people that we've been walking by day after day and God's calling you to love them? Even though they think different, even though they act different, even though they look different, even though they might, they might believe different, God says, that's your neighbor. You work with them. You see them. You, they're in your family. You pass by them. You don't even know their name, but you pass by them. Those are your neighbors. Listen, write this down. We got to pray this morning. Godly love to our neighbor is not about being in the right proximity. It's not just about am I close to them location-wise. Godly love to our neighbor is not about having the same politics. Oh, how our culture needs that message today. Godly love to our neighbor is not about agreeing on even your public opinion. Oh, there's a lot of things I can debate with people that we probably disagree on. There's a lot of things even you and I could probably talk about in life that we would probably publicly not agree or, and debate on different things. But watch, showing the love of God to our neighbor, it's about having a godly perception. Well, what do I mean by that? What, what does loving my neighbor look like at every day in my life, Pastor Matt? Loving my neighbor is, is being able to look at someone and see the value that they have in life because they're valuable to him first. They're not valuable because we like the same things. They're not valuable because we believe the same way. They're not valuable because we come from the same background. They're not valuable because we go to the same church. They're not valuable because we come from the same ethnic background. They are valuable because they're valuable to him. And, and, and Jesus' response, this man doesn't even have the audacity to utter the word Samaritan. Dare I say, he don't even have the courage to use the word Samaritan. He says, which one do you think is a neighbor? He says, the one who showed mercy. And so Jesus turns right back to him and he says, go and do likewise. I love one translation better because he says, go and be likewise. What was he saying to this gentleman? He was saying, you got to let go of your prejudice. You got to let go of how you feel. You got to let go of how you think. You got to let go of all of your excuses. You got to let go of all your tunnel vision. I could give all kind of things. You could get like you got to get let go of all your bitterness. You got to let go of all your anger. You got to let go of all your reasons. You got to let go of, of all your excuses. You got to get let go of all of those things that are standing in your way. And the gentleman was trying to make it about doing, right? Cuz remember earlier he said what is the law? He says, and he quoted the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Boom, these are boxes I can, I can check. I can check. I can check these boxes. I can go to church. I can read my Bible. Boom, got that box checked. I got to do all of that. And love your neighbor as yourself. Check it. And Jesus, and he says, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is. Are you willing to love them? And he watch. He tells me, he says, go and, and be likewise. I want you to stand this morning. Oh, I know this is not easy. This gentleman comes to Christ, this lawyer, this expert of the law, and he tries to make this love of, of God, he tries to make the love of our neighbor complex and philosophical. This big deal, right? And Jesus just breaks it down simple and practical. Are you willing to love those you have no reason to love? Are you willing to go the extra mile for those people that you have no reason to go to the extra mile? That's what loving our neighbor is all about. And listen, hearing this morning, oh, I know that's not easy. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Oh, I know it doesn't come natural. It doesn't for me. Maybe it does for you. It doesn't come natural for me. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.